0: good monday morning everybody i am glenn the geek in ocala florida
3: and i'm wendy ying from sarasota florida and you're listening to horses in the morning on the horse radio network for march 15th this is episode 2640 and it's brought to you by kem equine good
0: morning horse world well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Monday morning, uh, and uh, we hope that you're surviving the latest blizzard to go across the country. I don't know if you noticed, but some parts of Colorado and Utah had record snowfalls Yesterday. And yes, it is the middle of March. <laughs> so, and Yucky. that's heading across the country today. It's in the middle of the country and there were tornadoes and places. So we're thinking about all of you. I belong to a couple of the Facebook pages for camping now, Wendy. Yeah. And, uh, one of them, a tornado hit a campground in Texas. Oh, no. Took, fortunately, most of the people had evacuated and went, they had a safe place for them. They went oh, to the good. safe place because when they got back, their campers were in a million pieces. Like, oh, I can imagine. Just totally obliterated. Did
3: they have like an underground shelter or I, something? They, they
0: must have because they were all safe. And all I read was that we were glad we left our camper because when they came back, there were mattresses here and furniture over there. And th- there was nothing that looked like a camper left. Yeah. <laughs> it was just oh parts God. and pieces. So we're, be safe, everybody. We're thinking about you guys. Obviously, Jamie is off. She is taking her much-touted vacation although not to Hawaii because restrictions were too restrictive. So she ended up, uh, said she was going to go to Orlando and then didn't do that because of spring break. I talked her right out of that. You, <laughs> it's one time you don't come to Florida, right, Wendy? during spring no, break time. You no, no.
3: In fact, it. we Floridians tend not to even drive towards the beach. No,
0: <laughs> that's right. Any place that there's going to be a million teenagers, we don't go.
3: I actually have clients that, um, you know, reschedule because they felt, you know, we do house call practice. Mm-hmm. So they live out there on the beach and they said, "Oh no, no, we we can't schedule that week. It's spring break week. It'll take you forever to get out here." <laughs> That's nice of them. <laughs> I know, I know.
0: So Dr. Wendy's filling in. Of course, she does a driving show here once a month on Horses in the Morning. And I have my usual EHV-1 update that's a start the show here today. A couple of items. Uh, the FEI has imposed a further two-week extension of its shutdown for all international events in mainland Europe. So uh, there have been more cases popping up over there in different countries that have all come out of these big shows. I mean, the horses that are getting sick are your million-dollar horses. Mm-hmm. So, um they thought it was wise at this point because it, new cases keep popping up that they've extended. Originally, they were going to have a 28-day shutdown to the end of March, and now they're going to go to April 11th, which means that for the second year in a row, the World Cup is canceled. Last year, it was Aww. supposed to be in Las Vegas uh, for jumping and dressage at World Cup, and it was supposed to be in Vegas. Well, that got canceled because of the COVID. Yeah. And so, for it got canceled for a human virus last year, and this year it's being canceled now for a horse virus. So viruses have wiped out the World Cup the last two years, and it will not mm-hmm. happen. Um, so there you go. Longines sponsors that for the last two years too. I want—do they have to still pay their full bill? I don't
3: know. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but.
0: I don't know how it works either. And I sell advertising. I don't know how it works. You know,
3: it's bad for the people putting it on. It's bad for the venue. It's bad for the competitors, the owners. I,
0: I want to ask you, I do have a question about HV1 that came up that I didn't know the answer to. So I want to ask you that. First of all, before we get to that, uh, there's another outbreak in Woodford County, Kentucky. A three-year-old thoroughbred uh, oh. apparently got it and then rapidly deteriorated and was euthanized. Um, they... Good. they did the tracing back from that thoroughbred and they identified five other horses that are positive which have led them to 25 other horses that are now in quarantine mm-hmm. so they have a bit of an outbreak in Woodford County and Woodford County for those that aren't familiar right it's right next to Lexington that's where all the big thoroughbred farms are so this is on one of those farms uh which is bad i mean that you know that's bad you don't want it going around Le- Lexington Kentucky. Right. (laughs) Um, talk about million dollar horses, right? So, so that's where we're at as far as new outbreaks are concerned and, and, uh, the question was, you know, we, we've talked in the last two weeks here while covering this about how, how highly contagious this is. You know, horse yeah. sneezes on you, you go and another horse rubs you and you're, you've just spread it. I mean, it's that right. contagious. Right. But how does, they call them the index horses in all the articles. That's the first horse that they start tracing. So the first horse to get it, and then they start tracing where that horse, you know, who that horse has been with. How does the index horse get it?
3: The index horse gets it because with uh, it's a herpes virus, right? So right. we all know, like we've all known, like somebody that has herpes that you can see on their lip, right? Right. But they're not always shedding herpes, and some people don't get herpes, right? So there's a, they call it a um like a silent carrier, right? So there can be lots of horses that are infected. With this virus and showing zero signs, but they can be shedding it. So, so like that's COVID. how the Some first words. Some people works. don't
0: show show any signs at all, and right, yeah.
3: right. It's it's exactly like COVID, which is is sad about the two World Cups being canceled. And you know, it it has very similar characteristics to COVID, and what causes the neurologic sign actually is uh, damage to the blood vessels, because usually herpes virus and horses which we also call this EHV is also rhino. So, you know, you get your flu and your rhino right. shot and rhino means nose, right? So the most common form of EHV is uh, like respiratory disease. Um, but then there are some horses and we don't know why, but some horses get this uh, type of virus, the, the, this virus causes damage to the blood vessels and then you, you see this neurologic damage because you get inflammation in the brain.
0: So basically they're having strokes.
1: Right. Yeah,
3: basically. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. And um it it's it's kind of like a ticking time bomb because we don't know, right? Because it could be nothing. It's exact like the same thing that you go through with COVID. You could say, Oh, well, I, I don't think I'm gonna get it. My immune system's strong, but what if you're the unfortunate person whose body you know maybe you're the that 0.1 person that gets it and it causes serious damage to your body
0: so now the vaccine this is the other question that i've seen come up in facebook posts the vaccine doesn't necessarily help with the neurological
3: no and we don't know exactly why um the thing is that uh equine herpes virus is a dna virus so they can kind of uh they they have different characteristics they they can be uh have different forms right so so equine herpes virus causes nothing right it causes a a respiratory virus it causes this neurologic virus, and it also causes um abortion in mares so it, it it doesn't look like just one simple thing. And we don't know exactly why horses break with the neurologic form and the vaccine. Uh, the, there's no vaccine that's labeled to protect against the neurologic form. Mm. That doesn't mean that there isn't some kind of protection. We it just doesn't haven't it doesn't proven help a little
0: bit. Right. Yeah.
3: And also the, um, you know how with USEF you have to, get vaccinated for flu and rhino every right. six months. Well, the vaccine is good, but is v- the immunity is very short-lived. Mm. You see? So every six months means that that your immunity, this, this vaccine is only lasting for six months. Do they believe that six- the
0: more of the vaccine that you get, the shorter the immunity? Is that logical? That over time... It would
3: if get you get sh- vaccinated a lot, you, you're more at risk?
0: Yeah, yeah that the, the immunity gets shorter each time.
3: Um, I haven't heard anything okay. like that. What we usually feel like is the more times you get vaccinated, the more your immune system says, oh, I see that, and you can respond faster. Okay. That is not necessarily the case with equine herpes and flu. And it could be because, uh, just like with flu, that changes so much, there's different strains.
0: But um, I mean,
3: you should definitely vaccinate and you should definitely I actually prefer to use the intranasal vaccine because, you know, there's uh, different kinds of antibodies your your body makes. And if you do the intranasal vaccine, it stimulates the antibodies that you produce in your nose, like in your mucus. So I kind of feel like that's your first line of defense.
0: So, you know, it's so funny. Uh, by the way, for new listeners, uh, Wendy is a veterinarian. So <laughs> we'll just, we'll let everybody know. Um, so yeah, we, we, when we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago, I could not believe the, uh, obviously they're both viruses. Uh, you yeah. know, I couldn't believe the uncanny correlation to COVID. I mean, it, yeah. it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the same, you know? Yeah. Uh well, thank you for that. That cleared up a couple of things. I appreciate that. All right, <laughs> awesome. let's do some Daily Winnies and then we'll get to our first guest. We have three guests lined up today coming up on today's show. We have auditor Jordan Gray, who took her first driving lesson yesterday. Yay. She, she said it was a bit scary. So it was it's good you're here today to talk to her about that. Uh we love when our auditors and our listeners do something new. And then we have we're gonna answer the question: why are bike helmets so much less expensive than And riding helmets. We have Matt coming on. He's head of innovation at Charles Owen. And he's going to answer that question. And we're going to talk about why is the price so different and what makes a riding helmet better than a bike helmet. I can't believe they agreed to come on and do that. We have some question (laughs) first world problems. Yes, Wendy and I are going to tackle them today. And then Emma Klugman's coming on from Jumper Nation to talk a little bit about jumping, what's going on in the country and the world with with jumping. So we have a full show planned. But, of course, we always start with Daily Winnie's. <coughs> happy birthday,
4: happy birthday, happy happy birthday
0: to you. <laughs> <laughs> Only one auditor birthday today, Hillary Borneman. Happy birthday to Hillary. And now it's your turn. Hit the wrong button. Sorry about that. <laughs>
3: Well, my Daily Winnie is to our new auditors. We have Olivia the Mini Pony, Chris Scott, And LD, thank you so much for raising your pledge at the Patreon site. So thank you, guys, and welcome. For
0: the new listeners, too, auditors are like a super fans. They uh, donate every month to help support the network and the hosts. Wendy gets a piece of that every month. Uh, It's divided um, uh, up amongst our hosts here on the show. So definitely uh, check it out. You can go to horseradionetwork.com, scroll down the right-hand side of the page. And for as little as $3 a month, they get included in a lot of different things. Uh, There's some Auditor pages of all different kinds, mental health. And we'll talk about one later today that they just made. So all different kinds of pages in there. And,
3: and, and the after show, after party.
0: Yep. We have an after show that we do here every day for the auditors that only they get to listen to. So, that uh, will be coming up after today's show. Wendy's going to talk to us a little bit about a study that or a, a pro- project she's been working on. So, we're going to talk about that in the after show today. But first, we have to get to one of our auditors doing something new, and I love this. I love this that we have auditors in there posting about cool stuff they're doing, and you happen to know the guy that she's doing it with. So, let's get her on the line. This is going to be Jordan Gray.
3: Well, hi, Jordan. Welcome to the Horses in the Morning. Hi Wendy. Hi Glenn. Jordan, you have some exciting news. You took your first driving lesson. Yes. <laughs> so Alan how was David, it?
5: <laughs> it it was a little scary. I'm not going to lie.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you, you took it with who? Who gave you your first driving lesson?
5: Alan Chi at Murder Hollow Farm in Chester County, Pennsylvania.
3: Murder Hollow.
0: Were yeah. you scared? Who, who takes a lesson at Murder Hollow? Yeah, no wonder you were nervous.
5: <laughs> yeah, you can hear the whole story if you go on the website. It's it's kind of
3: amusing. Oh my gosh. And um, so you know, I have to admit, the first time I drove, um, I was terrified. I was like, why do you do this? You're completely out of control. And I was like, h- with my legs, I was squeezing onto the onto the carriage. Were you doing that? Yeah,
5: the first time when we went off the driveway, I felt like I was gonna fall out of the carriage.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you're and you're like, oh my God, I'm just at this horse's mercy, just holding these two little reins, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. She was
5: very good though. She and um she tolerated my mistake.
3: <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Alan and what kind of horses he has up there at Murder Hollow.
5: Um Alan and Renee have um It's a Danish spotted warm blood breed. Mm-hmm. Um, they breed them. They stand a stallion. Um, and that is one of their mares that I was driving
3: that so you were driving.
5: Yeah. Her name is Dilly. She, she actually just learned to drive, I think over the summer.
1: Oh, really? So you're just day. learning
3: to drive and they gave you this little green. On green. green hair. <laughs> yeah. Green on green. Well, Alan was right there with me, so he wasn't going to let me get in tr- into trouble. <laughs> So how did you, um, like, what, what made you decide to start driving? What happened? We were actually going to go to trail ride,
5: and then Renee was like, let's drive instead. <laughs> so kind of spur of the moment, we just decided to take the horses out driving instead.
0: So I have to ask you, what did you find the difference? Where, where you know, what were the differences? What What did you notice? What stood out to you?
5: I felt a lot less in control (laughs) than when when riding i guess because you can feel the horse between your legs and your hands and now you have you lose that you just have the reins and then you have the cart that's kind of like tilting as it goes over every bump and you have no
0: control (laughs) which is why i like driving (laughs) because because i'm not on the horse
3: (laughs) Glenn is not in control driving at all either. No. He's at no. scooter's mercy.
0: <laughs> That's right. We go where he wants to go. We have an arrangement. Really we cool. do what he wants. It's a good arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> Drives Wendy insane when she comes up. So so Did you uh, did you, you
3: think it was difficult to like get all you know how like if you're gonna go for a trail ride, you just throw your saddle and bridle on. Did, did you notice there was a difference between hooking up the carriage and tacking up for riding?
5: Yes, it's a lot more work to get to
3: um, get a horse ready to drive. It's a lot
5: of straps and a lot of things to remember.
3: <laughs> I think people are always overwhelmed by the amount of straps. You're yes. right. I was Definitely. noticing too.
0: He didn't. There was no breaching on on this one. Uh, he didn't have gr- breaching on. Did you notice that, Wendy, in the picture?
3: I can't see. I need glasses.
0: Yeah, you can make the picture bigger just click on it, it'll get bigger. But uh, yeah, it uh, it didn't look like you only had half the harness to hook up actually.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so what what did you so how did you stop the carriage from going forward? Did you have to learn to use the brake? He was doing the brake. Oh, that's so good. Alan,
0: it's kind of Alan like a driver instructor brake. when you're learning to drive a car and they had their own brake. Yeah, he
5: he had the break. (laughs) So I didn't have to do that part too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you do it again?
5: Yes, definitely. It was fun. And then we did some ground driving with one of the the other mares that's learning to drive after.
0: That's fun too, isn't it?
5: So so we played around with that a little bit. The mare I actually have been riding, we we were ground driving her after. So she can start. He's trying to put another four-in-hand team together.
3: Oh, that's great.
5: He's working on trying to find four horses to pair together.
3: So if and anybody has, he's going to use all his horses, all the all the um, spotted horses, right?
5: Uh, well, right now they only have two spotted horses that could possibly be in the.
3: Oh, because I was going to say ready. it's hard enough to put a team together, and then to put the same like the the same breed together is difficult too.
5: Yeah, he doesn't have the, the rest are still babies, so they only have two two mares that are enough to be in the team right now. Yeah. The rest are still too young. So the rest of will just be more blood mares.
3: Oh that's
0: good. Well, congratulations on your first time out Thank there. That's you. so exciting. I assume you've been a rider forever. Yes. I've ridden my whole life. I
5: work um at cross equestrian center, a therapeutic riding program in Chester County, Pennsylvania. So I've been around horses and worked with them my whole life. Okay, you broke up a
0: little bit. Give the name of the Therapeutic Riding Center again.
5: Thorncroft Equestrian Center. It's one of the oldest therapeutic riding programs in the country.
0: Very good. Well, cool. I'm glad that's that's a rewarding job too, right?
5: Yeah, it's it's really rewarding.
0: Very good. Well, we're hoping to get through there on our roadshow in August. So I hope to see you.
5: Yes, you should definitely come visit. You should come visit Thorncroft and Murder Hollow.
0: I could drive a Knobstrupper. Oh yeah, <laughs> that'd be fun. All right, sounds good. Thank you. I know you have to get back to work. And tell tell your boss thank you for letting us uh, talk to you today. All right. Thanks, George. Thank you so much. All right.
3: Bye. bye. All right. Let's was great. get. Yeah, isn't that fun? I, I, I saw yeah. that
0: yesterday. I was like, she has to come on with Wendy's here. She just has to come
3: yeah, on Yeah, more driving.
0: <laughs> All right, it's time for my fact of the day. And now it's time for today's equestrian, who knew, fact of the day. That's right, the fact of the day today. We're going to be talking about bits, very old bits. You know, there's evidence of the use of bits located at two sites in ancient Kazakhstan dated 3,500 to 3,000 before Christ B.C. The first bits were made of rope, bone, horn, or hardwood. Metal bits came into use between 1,300 and 1,200 B.C., and they were originally made of bronze, and they consisted of the mouthpiece, usually a single bar, uh, with a joint sometimes, and cheek pieces that were often quite elaborate. The quality of the work suggested that smelting uh, must have been developed to a very high standard at that point. And it's estimated that later, around the 4th century B.C., severe curb bits with high ports and long shanks were invented for maximum control over war horses. And I saw pictures of some of these. Oh, my God, Wendy. They were something else. I
3: know. You can't look. You just can't look.
0: (laughs) Bits of the Egyptian, Roman, and medieval European eras were much more severe than their predecessors. Iron or bronze bits with sharp V-shaped edges and wire, even barbed wire, were developed... This is the period we begin to see the ancestors of the modern curb bit as leverage of strong, uh, of the longer shanks and high ports were discovered. Um, You know, so at this point, you had really high strung horses that were used for one reason, right? And that was, you know, war, (laughs) battle. Uh, It was not until the 1700s that innovations in horse training led to gentler bits. So they were using nasty bits all the way up to that point. And in the 18th century, we see the first real innovations in snaffles, and soon after that, bits made of more palatable steel. And then there was little further innovation until about the 1900s when new materials and designs began to emerge again. So snaffles came in about the 1700s. So think about the time of this country's (sighs) founding. And then, you know, (laughs) there was really no change until about the 1900s. Um, And there was all... There's the debate going on, the chicken or the egg debate, still going on. You're probably finding this in your research. The chicken or the egg debate goes on um, whether there were bits first or bitless bridles first, whether bitted or bitless bridles first.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard the the talk about that. I think it has to be bitless bridles first.
0: Well, it's funny because the uh, uh, the earliest evidence they have now. Remember, they have evidence of bits being used, and this is wall paintings, and you know that they have some kind of documentation to where they found evidence of engraves and things, right? Where they actually yeah. find it. Uh, that was at 3, 3,500 to 3,000 BC. The first artistic evidence they have of use, some use of a bridalist uh, or a bitless bridal was in 1400 BC. So much later. Um, so, mm. you know, but then again, you know, Leather degrades, you know. So if they're going to dig up a grave, a lot of times the leather oh, yeah. would be gone. So you wouldn't have evidence of that even before. So it's it's yeah. hard to know. But that's they actually have artistic evidence, you know, on on parchments or walls or something where it shows right. bitless bridles. So interesting. And you know, if you, I mean, if you really want to cringe, <laughs> you look at pictures of some of these bits. I my, can't. They were huge. <laughs> I first can't. of all, and it was interesting because from what I read. The horses back then weren't necessarily as big as they are now. Even draft horses were smaller in stature. So your average horse was fourteen and a half, fifteen and a half hands. Yet these bits were six inches wide. So they yeah. were wondering if the horses' heads weren't much bigger uh, than they are today. We have more refined heads than we have. I
3: think they were. I think 4, they were more like like this area that you're talking about, Kazakhstan, is like where the barbs came from. Mm-hmm. You know, so that there was these kind of what we think of now there is like these little mongol ponies but uh they were really like the more heavier like the the ancestors of the draft horses
0: yeah you would think yeah they were smaller in stature and they're still smaller in stature but they do have mm-hmm. bigger heads you're right that their yeah. heads tend to be bigger uh, it was interesting reading about this, and then getting you know in depth a little bit about it because I didn't know exactly what the evolution of bits were. Thank God we've come to where we are today. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but history's history. Can't change it. It is what it is. All right. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Kem and Equine. A fallen section of fence can certainly throw a wrench in your day. Aside from a headache and a repair bill, it might also allow your horses out and to wander around the neighborhood and other creatures in. A fence is not unlike the intestinal barrier in this way. It needs to be strong and functional to keep the good bucks in Good bugs in and the bad bugs out. But what happens when you have a down section offense or loosened tight junctions in the gut lining? Holes or leaks in your horse's intestinal barrier, known as leaky gut syndrome, can often result in various health and welfare problems. It's not a small problem. Gut issues are the number one cause of premature death in horses, but there is something you can do about it. Good nutrition and attention to gut health can help promote immunity, performance, healthy weight. Nutrient Absorption and a Positive Attitude. For optimal health, ensure your feed includes Clostat or Budapurl ZEQ and Kemin Trace Chromium from Kemen Equine. Learn more at Kemen Equine slash Leaky Gut. That's Kemen Equine slash Leaky Gut. All right, let's go to our next guest and solve the debate about riding helmets versus bike helmets with Matt Stewart. He's head of innovation at Charles Owen. Well, hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you stopping by. Hi, guys. So, Matt, where are you located?
2: I'm located in North Wales in the UK.
0: Oh, cool. All right. Very good. So, we this has been posted on by our listeners in our auditor group, and I saw it on a couple of the other Facebook groups. There's now bike helmets that are coming out with the new MIPS technology, which I think most of our yes. listeners know what that is. We've gone over that before. Uh, But the question came up, why are bike helmets so cheap that even have the MITS technology and riding helmets 10 times the price of that? And then, of course, you get everybody with their opinions. You know, there's 500 comments, all with opinions. Um, And we thought, why not go to the source and find out why are are bike helmets different than riding helmets? Let's start with that. We'll talk about price later. But what is the difference?
2: Okay, so bike helmets are, I suppose... Um, quite basic and easy to make. They are an um, expanded polystyrene liner, and they have a um, piece of polycarbonate in-molded onto them. So you've got you've got the helmet liner and the shell molded in one piece, and then um, you can add in bit mips technology, and then you stick on your webbing straps. It's very easy, very quick to make. Um, and a question: riding helmet? Uh, there's a bit more to it. You can have a carbon shell, a fiberglass shell, an ABS shell, and then you would put the expanded polystyrene liner in still. And we have, I suppose, more premium harnesses. We don't just put webbing harnesses on our helmets. They can be leather coated. They can be plastic coated. Whereas I think cycling is just purely, it is just uncovered webbing. Um, I suppose there's a... There's a different trend in the cycling world. We don't need covered webbing um, to hold our helmets on, really. Um, Yeah, I think it's just a different mindset for cycling. We don't need all the fancy bits that are in equestrian.
0: What about safety standards? Are they different between the two lines of helmets?
2: Yes, they're very different. Um, So they have different tests and different test line coverage. So I've already sent you a JPEG previous to this call, um, just showing you the the test line differences. So what I mean by the test line is um, when you send a helmet to get certified at SEI, ASTM, or in the UK, uh, at BSI, um, they draw a line on the helmet and they will test the helmet anywhere above this line. So they will put it in the helmet test rig and drop it on a a flat anvil or a hemi anvil or a curb anvil or a hazard anvil. And they're allowed to impact the helmet anywhere above the test line. Um, With cycling, the test line is much higher on the head, meaning you've got less coverage compared to equestrian. So equestrian has got so much more safety coverage than cycling um and then there are different um anvils that the helmet are dropped onto and if we're comparing to british standards um there's no spike testing where a spike is dropped onto the helmet so if you were to drop a spike onto a cycling helmet the spike is going to go through those massive ventilation holes um equestrian helmets have much smaller ventilation holes purely because we are trying to avoid the penetration by spike or by branches or sharp rocks. Um, the studs on a helm on a horse's hoof, for example, as well. Um, yeah, you don't have so much of that in um, on a cycling helmet because their their ventilation is so massive. Um,
3: I didn't think yeah. about that, but that is a, like a real danger, you know, because if you fall off your bike. You fall off your bike, but if you fall off your horse, you can be dragged, they can step on you, you can get yes. launched into something.
2: Yeah, we we see a lot of people getting trodden on or rolled on by their horse. Um, we had one of our sponsored riders, Laura Kraut, was trodden on twice by her horse mm-hmm. and the horse was wearing studs and luckily the helmet was able to protect her against those helmets, or those um, hoof studs. But if she was mm-hmm. wearing a cyclable helmet, those hoof studs would have gone straight through those big gaping holes.
0: Right. And the other so, thing, too, is, you know, I
2: ride bike and I wear
0: helmets for when I drive carriage. And yeah. the bike helmet is so much lighter. I mean, you would you can tell just by picking them up that, that they're not going to be as strong
2: because it's just I mean, it's it's a quarter as heavy. Well, it's so much lighter because you've got much more ventilation. So there's less polystyrene material mm-hmm. there. And And it doesn't come down in the back
0: like the riding helmet does either.
2: No, it does not come down. So you've got less material due to the lower coverage, less material due to the big ventilation holes. And, um, also the helmet shell, um, on a cycling is probably less than 0.5 millimeters thick, sometimes 0.3 or 0.2. And they are just back molded straight onto the liner or in molded in the poly machine. um, so that's what makes them very light compared to an equestrian helmet where we make the shell separate to the, the liner and the shell can be one and a half to two mil thick. It could be made of carbon and Kevlar or dial or fiberglass. And it's made of those purely to help against the spike test or the, the hazard anvil test or lateral crush testing. So we need to be Stiff. have a stiff helmet to pass the lateral crush it needs to be stiff to protect against the spike and the hazard and yeah a horse could roll on you so yes you want a nice stiff helmet with lots of coverage when a horse can potentially roll on you or kick on you
0: Mm-hmm. I you know I think about that though, when I ride my bike and I'm going 25 miles an hour down a hill on a road you know yeah. if, if you know I think about my bike helmet going is this really going to protect me if I come off right now and hit the <laughs> side of a you know telephone pole um and then the other thing I, I guess is if you get hit by a car probably the least of your worries is your helmet by that point I don't know
2: <laughs> or it doesn't matter it, if it you it is the hit least of your worries yeah. but it, it um I'd pref- I'd prefer to have a helmet on in any situation I'd, right. I'd rather have a broken helmet and broken arms than a broken head. Yeah,
0: me too, and that's why I wear them. But, you know, you do I do think about the difference between the two and I'm thinking should I be riding with my uh, with my horse helmet at this point if I'm going this fast in traffic, <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> um I don't know how to answer that one really. Um <laughs> so yes, I I do believe equestrian helmets are safer, but they're made for different instances, different situations. Um and they have different tests because of the different accident scenarios you can have. Mm-hmm. So the equestrian helmets are made for possible equestrian scenarios, whereas the cycling ones are yeah, made for cycling scenarios. Um, so I, I, I can't really comment on the crossover. Yeah. But well, I okay. would say you shouldn't put a cycling helmet on if you're riding your horse.
0: Yeah, which is what a lot of people are saying, you know, (laughs) we're asking about because of the price difference, which gets us to that. Why is there so much of
2: a price difference between the two? Um, It's purely because uh, I think cycling helmets are easier to make. I mean, it's down to that. And because of the more extreme helmet tests we have in Equestrian, we have to make the helmet to be more substantial and sturdier. And that raises the price.
0: And probably you know just cost of production you're they're producing a, a ten times more bike helmets than are produced equestrian helmets in the world if if that might even be minimum <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes i know I know the uh, the cycle helmet world is a lot larger than equestrian, but i mean yeah i mean i i I ride a bike, my daughter rides a bike, my wife rides a bike, none of us rides a horse. Um I, I I design and engineer the helmets, but I don't ride horses myself. But um yeah, that 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 can account for the, the much higher market in the cycling.
0: Yeah. Well this is interesting. Thank yeah. you for giving us an explanation about the, the differences there. Do you think Is there more innovation coming that you can actually talk about? If you can't talk about that's okay. Obviously.
2: I I can't talk about all all our secrets, (laughs) but we we are always working on improving our helmets constantly, trying out new materials. Um, and I, I sit on the, the, the headgear board at ASTM. So, um, I talk to the cycling guys. I talk to the equestrian guys, the football guys, and we all trying to improve the safety standards and then improve helmets altogether so that that works for both cycling and equestrian because it uses similar equipment um we're all dealing with concussion so all we're trying to do is improve helmet safety standards very good and then in turn better helmets i know
0: the mips technology when it came out was a big thing and uh you know and and there's going to be more of those
2: kind of things coming down the pike
0: I think pretty soon yeah. we're gonna see more of different kinds of things yeah. like
2: that. And there are MIPS alternatives as well um coming. Um there's already one or two different versions in the market that are MIPS competitors. Wave Cell being one of them. What is it? Wave Cell. Um okay. Wave Cell. If you look at the Virginia Tech ratings, you will you should see some Wave Cell helmets in there. There'll be They'll be the highest scoring ones as well as MIPS. Very
0: good. Well, thank you, Matt. We appreciate you stopping by. Of course, Charles Owen, everybody knows where to find it. You can go to, I think it's charlesowen.com or any store right. in America. You'll find it there. <laughs> so appreciate it. Take care. Well, there you go. Don't wear your bike helmet when you're riding your horse. That's the bottom line. Horse helmets are You maybe, know what I
3: was thi- Yeah. You know what I was thinking when you were talking about that? going 25 miles an hour with your bike helmet, like your bike isn't going to take off at a full gallop and like throw you into something. I think you could never go as fast on your bike as you can on your horse.
0: I'm not sure about that. And uh, I have had things jump out in my, uh, in my way in the bike.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Almost but you can stop your bike. Your bike yeah, yeah. wouldn't just run off That's and true. drag you places. It, doesn't, it
0: usually does not have a mind of its own. No, uh, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> it usually does what I tell it to do. Usually. <laughs> if
3: you're you right. tell your bike to stop, it stops. It doesn't say, no, I'm terrified. You're right, It's going to keep running.
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't bolt <laughs> like scooter does. No, it <laughs> doesn't do that. But so you're right about that. And, you know, uh, well, there, I hope we answered some. I know that uh, there was a lot of comments there in the auditor room, and I hope we answered that. And most of the people were saying, oh, would never wear my bike helmet to ride my horse and that is the correct answer Mm -hmm. Uh, i know there's a price difference but you're paying you're paying for protection in that case all right let's do some equestrian first world problems it's time for the weekly look
3: at your equestrian first world problems this ought to be good
0: so what do we have wendy does anybody oh my god the first
3: one yes the first one i really like it's from jessica troop and she's horse shopping, but instead all she's finding are really bad ads to send to Jennifer or horses that are a cajillion dollars.
0: <laughs> Crappy horses or cajillion dollar girl. horses.
3: <laughs> Poor girl. Okay, Tammy Griffith says her white truck and trailers are yellow because of all the tree pollen.
0: Mine too. <laughs> uh, in florida it is awful we're i i am basically hosing off the cars every other day they're just covered in yellow
3: i know we had that last month i like couldn't breathe for like all of last month Oh,
0: it's awful and thick oh it's awful
3: yeah you have a pretty bad well just wait till april in north carolina you want to see some pollen (laughs) good luck Uh, there allergy people (laughs) (laughs) okay from margaret dwyer My friend gave me two new blankets for Jacques, but he is shedding so badly. I don't want to try them on and get them covered in chestnut hair in case they don't fit and we have to return them.
0: It is a problem. And when we had the store, we used to get people returning very dirty blankets. (laughs) It's like you used this blanket for a month and now you're returning it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, but if they're really shedding, you could put it on for like one second and you'll never get all the hair off. Yeah, shedding
0: and covered in mud is two different things.
3: Oh, you mean people would actually use them and yes, then try to send them and back? and then bring them back. Yeah. No way.
0: Yeah, that is correct.
3: <laughs> well, you should just say no. Okay, I have a first world problem for my horse. Okay. Because my farrier was here this morning, and he had to stay tied while the other ones get their feet done. Mm-hmm. And Abby hates those small hole hay nets. <laughs> he was standing there like sad. And he was like making this sad face and he was just picking out whenever when I would come over to look at him, he would just pick out one strand of hay at a time and like savor it and then look at me like, Oh my god, I can't believe you're forcing me to eat out of this stupid hay now.
0: The scooter's world every day. And he gets (laughs) so mad, he rips it out of there, and then he shakes his head, and then he rips out the next piece and shakes his head. And he'll do that for two hours.
3: No, I know. Usually, that's what mine do. But Abby was just like totally pouting, just picking out one <laughs> strand of hay at a time. It was so funny. So
0: she feeds them in the in the hay net, and then I come along when I feed and throw it on the ground. So
3: <laughs> you take it out for him.
0: I don't put it in the hay net. I just throw it on the ground. Or sometimes, if he's getting really frustrated and he's spent, you know, three hours eating out of the hay net, and he gives up and then just walks away, I'll take it out because <laughs> he's got me wrapped. <laughs> Don't
3: tell. Jennifer. Okay, this, this is from Elizabeth Rose. This is my kind of first world problem. My horse husband wants to learn to ride, except we own a four year old OTTB, so we have to buy another horse.
0: <laughs> there you
3: go. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let's
0: not get him an off-the-track thoroughbred, though. Okay. <laughs>
3: no. no, she needs a cute draft horse. Yeah. Okay, this is a good one. Um, from Carrie, from Carrie Garvey, my horse is fit and mostly clipped, but my friend's horses got pretty sweaty on our five-mile ride on Saturday. So I had to wait for them to groom their horses before we could have cupcakes and champagne to celebrate one of their birthdays, and it took forever. <laughs> you have
0: nice trail <laughs> rides. I want to go on trail ride with her. Cupcakes I and know, champagne.
3: Cupcakes. <laughs> yeah. But she had to wait for I those know. sweaty horses. Don't these people know how to clip? <sighs> okay, Chelsea Tipton says... She's so high from the horse show this weekend. She doesn't have any first world equestrian programs, although she did get a little sunburned yesterday. (laughs) She must be a Florida girl. Must be. (laughs) Um, Okay. From Stephanie Eileen. We just moved to the most amazing barn with a giant indoor, three outdoors, a trail loop on the property. But the dang snow and ice is still keeping us from doing anything outside. Enough already. <laughs>
0: I, I imagine that the job. people that are getting this storm, I, I remember living up there in March and you get the, you always get the big blizzard in March. And it's just like, you're so over it. And then you have two feet of snow.
3: I,
1: know. <laughs> it's awful. I, know.
3: I was just telling somebody that my farrier is thinking about like, maybe moving to like, New England, and I said, "Don't do it. You'll miss Florida weather." I
0: I don't I don't get how people can move south to north. Uh, uh, That would be too hard. (laughs) Too hard.
3: Okay, this is from Julian Brewer, Uh, and she's saying, "My husband used to be the cook, but now he rides with us. He wanted to spend more time with me. The nerve." (laughs) <laughs> i hope kyle doesn't do that
0: <laughs> yeah kyle's a good cook you're spoiled rotten
3: <laughs> he doesn't
0: just cook on the weekends good either he's always posting pictures it's the middle of the week and he's making like 24 hour roasted meats and you know, i know all that stuff you got lucky there girl
3: i know i know okay and this is our last one From Samantha Reeves, I have three horses that are perfect for Land Rover and I can't pick just one.
0: She's an outrider there, and I asked her. I said, "Do you are there going to be outriders? Because there's no crowd, there's no audience at at uh, Land Rover this year, and yeah. uh, I didn't know if they'd still have the outriders. And the outriders, you always see them on cross country, and they're stationed around yeah. to make sure the crowd doesn't get out of the way, you know, in the way and all that, and to close the crossings. And I guess for loose horses too, you know, if a horse gets yeah. loose. Uh, but she said they're going to be less of them, about half the number. But that is one of the other reasons they're out there, uh, and they're also out there, so you. Got 50,000 people that actually see horses up close. Um,
3: You'd have to ride pretty fast to catch an event. Horses running away. Yeah, huh? I don't
0: know that you're going to do that. She rides side saddle too. So I'm not sure. Oh <laughs> my sure. God. I'm not sure she's doing that side <laughs> saddle. She's always a big hit though at Rolex or at Land Rover every year because she is side saddle. So yeah. It's, it's always a big hit. And, you know, she
3: outrides out side saddle.
0: Yep. Yep, all day.
3: Oh, that's awesome.
0: (laughs) All day. i got to imagine you're sore the next day after sitting there for eight hours in a side saddle. They say it's more comfortable. Have you ever done it?
3: I've done it. Yeah, Mickey Bowen let me. uh, She gave me some side saddle lessons. It was really fun. I really want to do it again. But I just, I can't find a side saddle. It's so hard. Um do you think that
0: people, now I'm not saying this to pick on you. I'm not
3: saying, I don't think it was too comfortable. My back was hurting because you have to twist.
0: Yeah, I imagine that would be the case. I don't think it
3: could sit all day like that. But it was fun. I really liked it. And you are really like on there. You're stuck on there. So the
0: question is, and I'm being serious about this. I'm not picking on you. Wendy's somewhat on the shorter side. Is it, would it be easier to ride side saddle if you're shorter or taller with longer legs?
3: probably taller i would think that's what i was thinking but, you know too, like i was riding it. in mickey bowen's side saddle and mickey's like four eleven, so for, wow. i'm tall compared to her yeah and that's why i think i'm having trouble finding a side saddle because you have to make sure it fits your horse and then also fits you and i'm you know five two so it's hard no wonder but you were those...
0: friends with mickey she was the only one shorter than you she was like, You're gonna
3: be I, my know. <laughs> I know i felt like a giant <laughs> hi Mickey (laughs) she loves being short she's adorable adorable short
0: she is cute as a button All right. before we get to our next guest we're going to head now to Jumper World uh, actually Jumper Nation and we're going to talk to Emma she's going to give us an update on what's happening in the Jumper World the winter series are coming to an end here in Florida but before we get to that while you were on today I thought I'd bring this up do you know where Midway Atoll is it's a tiny uh, island in the South Pacific. The only reason you might have heard of it is during World War II. It was one of the islands that you know. Yeah,
3: I mean, I've heard about Midway, but I don't know where it is.
0: It, it, it's about thirteen hundred miles from Hawaii, and mm-hmm. something happened there in the last couple of weeks that's made the news. And that is that the world's oldest known wild bird laid an egg, has had uh, hatched another chick. Oh, really? uh, so she's 70 years old it's a lace sand albatross uh, wow her, her name is wisdom and she hatched another chick at 70 years old making it at least that they know about the 40th youngster she has reared
3: oh my god apparently and she must have had more babies when she was younger like they
0: must. Well, they started tracking her actually in 1956 is when they first put an identification uh-huh. band back on her, and uh, she was estimated to be around five at that age, and that's when they usually mature and can start having, oh, oh, having oh, babies. Oh. Um, and she, they keep the same mate too. Uh, so oh. now she's been apparently been through a couple. <laughs> she's lived so long.
3: She uh, she outlived them. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: um. So they spend nine-tenths of their life at sea, out to sea, actually out the sea. Yeah. Um, so they can really only study them when they return to their breeding grounds and, and, and uh, you know, all those islands around there. But they have studied yeah. this one in particular. So that's how they know so much about it. There's uh, apparently around an estimated two and a half million of these left in the world. Uh, it's yeah. the second most common seabird in the Hawaiian Islands. Um, they only hatch one egg a year. So if you were counting on them Really? For food, only yeah, one a yeah, year? I know your chickens do like one a day. Uh, yeah. but these only one egg a year. So if you're counting on them for your eggs, uh you're you would starve. Uh <laughs> so but that's why it's so important that when they have one egg a year, you know, they really want that baby to make it, right? They that chick has to yeah. make it because, you know, that's their only chance till next year. Uh and they said that's probably why they haven't overpopulated, is because One egg a year. (laughs) So it's not like chickens. How many chickens do you have
3: now? Oh, well, I only have five hens. I'm having a bobcat problem Uh right now. Yeah, they're Um, around. But um, I have my incubators going. I have tons of eggs in the incubator. I hatched out two little babies, and then I made the unfortunate mistake of going to tractor supply on chick day. (laughs) <laughs> and then i came home with six more chicks like i don't even need to buy more chicks but i really i love these i love this breed i got these um i got these little they look like little chipmunks they're um why am i going blank on the name they're the Corn Flakes. cornflakes they're the cornflakes breed <laughs> um but they're super adorable and i like i need more chickens i couldn't believe it and i had the jack russell in the car when, and I had to oh, bring no. Jack Russell and six baby <laughs> chicks in this little tiny flimsy cardboard box. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God! If if the any chicks get out, or if the Jack Russell breaks loose of her leash, you're in trouble." Like, yeah, it's gonna be like a bloodbath in here. <laughs> but we made it. We, made
0: it. <laughs> we have a coyote issue right now. Jennifer took uh, the uh, took the dog out, took the greyhound out before light one morning, into the driveway and came upon the coyote right there in the driveway. Oh, my God. Stumbled on the coyote, which was a very large dog size. And uh, Wayne has seen, on the other side of our neighborhood, has seen the coyotes, too. So, yeah, I imagine chickens aren't, you're going to have to keep an eye on your chickens right now.
3: But it's common for coyotes to live in, in neighborhoods because it's so much easier for them to eat, like, like neighborhood cats and little little yeah, dogs. Lunches lunch is right there,
0: provided for you.
3: <laughs> I was screaming at this bobcat. I'm like, go eat bunnies! Stop <laughs> eating my poor ducks!
0: Well, we don't have any bunnies in our neighborhood. We have squirrels, because apparently nothing likes squirrels, because they're just everywhere. But we have no bunnies, and they, it's hawks. We have hawks that live here. We have a couple of hawks that live on the farm. We have owls, a couple of big owls, and we have oh, these yeah. predators yeah. that live here, too. So bunnies don't stand a chance. There's just none around. Uh, but,
3: That's what you should do. You should introduce some bunnies to your neighborhood, and then it might save you from the coyotes coming over to your house.
0: I wanted to tell you, you saved squirrels in the past. Jennifer witnessed yeah. again walking the dog in our on our farm. We have a couple of hawks that live right in the farm, and we also have a couple of uh, woody woodpeckers, by the way, that live here too. Um, oh, okay. yeah, they're 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 always in pairs. They mate for life, apparently too. So we see them together all the time.
1: Oh, uh,
0: but so. Uh, she was walking the dog one day, bright daylight, and the hawk comes down, picks up a squirrel, and apparently she said oh. it was a bloody battle. Squirrels don't like to be picked up. <laughs> um, no. And we talked to a falconer one time who said the reason they don't eat squirrels is because squirrels fight back. You know, bunnies, yeah. they can pretty much, you know, just hold on to it. But squirrels will oh, fight back yeah. and claw them and, you know, do everything else. And it, she said oh, they good, got a baby squirrel. Yeah, they said they got about 10, 15 feet in the air and dropped the squirrel. So and the squirrel went running off. So that's the reason they don't need wow. squirrels is, is because squirrels will fight back or apparently pretty squirrely.
3: Don't i tell you something can I, can I tell you something okay, my acknowledge my did? bad
0: pun there acknowledge that
3: that was a good that was a good <laughs> pun <laughs> i gotta tell you my gardening story about okay squirrels. okay i have all these baby squirrels that i rescue and then i release them but they like come hang out with me when i'm in the yard and so now i finally have my vegetable garden rocking okay and this has taken like four times because first the chickens got in there, then the deer got in there, then whatnot, whatnot, whatnot. So now I'm like, finally, I've got it going. So I'm like, i want to plant some corn. So I plant these little corn these little corn seeds in, in little rows, right? And the squirrels are out there hanging out with me watching. And the next morning, I come out to the garden to water all my little seeds. And these squirrels dug up every single corn, every single little corn piece and ate them. Yep, that's what they do. Every single one, and it wasn't even like they didn't like just move all the ground. They just like went and dug these little holes. There were these little holes, like exactly how I planted them. And you... I was like, "Screw you, squirrels! What are you doing?" <laughs> sudden,
0: not in love with the squirrels anymore, are you?
3: <laughs> but I feed them. They get peanuts every single day. Peanuts and sunflower seeds. And and corn. why do you want to dry <laughs> dried
0: up corn seeds? And corn, apparently. There you go. But they get.
3: Corn on the cob that I buy at the grocery store for them.
0: Children, this is why you can't have nice stuff. Right <laughs> <laughs> you know I hate the squirrels because it cost us big bucks here. They went up know, they I ate know. the seal out of our gas tank of our truck. Cost eighteen hundred dollars to get it fixed, and and the guy at the at the repair shop said, "Oh, we see this all the time." <laughs> it's like
3: what? I know that's how I get a lot of squirrels. People find the nests in the in their car. <laughs> All right, let's go to our next guest.
0: Let's head over to Jumper Nation. Well, hi, Emma. Welcome back to the show.
4: Hey, Glenn. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Good. Now, Emma is the editor over at Jumper Nation, and she comes on here occasionally to give us a jumping report. We give Deanne a week off every once in a while. Uh, and uh, things nothing's been happening in the jumper world. You're bored, right?
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, certainly in the United States, the uh, season is in full swing.
0: Is it almost over now? The winter season up here in Ocala, and then down in Wellington. Are we, are we heading to the end of the winter season?
4: We are. We are on the home stretch. Yeah, I think we're in. What is it? it would be week ten now of of Wes and and WEC as well. So um, it's it's a twelve week sort of deal. So it's uh, it, we're getting to the end of it. Um, and yeah people will start sort of migrating north following the weather (laughs) so
0: so i have a question for you there was all the battle between the world equestrian center and hits over here in ocala uh you know Mm -hmm. everybody was too close to each other and we can't do jumper shows and blah, blah 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 okay uh there was all that battle how have things turned out is everybody happily showing
4: i think everybody is happily showing yeah i mean It seems to me that they've sorted out the um kind of feud that was going on and there are people showing at WEC. there are people showing at hits some of those are the same people right (laughs) showing at both places um obviously the the venues (laughs) are a bit different but (laughs) but they you know they're both they're they're horse shows in both places and there's prize money in both places so i think you know I think it's generally been a good thing. I know a lot of people have been impressed with WEC um, and the the impressive facilities there and what they've done. So you know, I think there was there's probably a few things still to be ironed out, and we'll see how it kind of progresses um, over the years here. But I don't think WEC is going away anytime soon. So
0: I was going to um, tell you what you were hearing. I know we we've been over a few times to watch things that are going. I, no. Uh, yeah, I know, no spectators allowed, but I'm press. Um, so we've been over a few times <laughs> yeah. to watch things going on, and uh, it all seems to be running fairly smooth, for, considering it's their first year there. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: no, I think I think they do a good job. Um, I know, obviously, there was the scare with uh, EHV, um, which seems to be kind of under control, at least, in Florida now. Um, you know, they were putting in place, by security measures. And I think for a few days, they were even limiting horses coming into the facility and things like that. So it seems that now there've been a couple of negative cases in Wellington that they thought had been positive before. So anyway, I think it, it's pretty clear in Florida, it's under control and other places, obviously it's uh, it's not like across Europe and in Canada and even where I'm from in Maryland, there were a few cases. So it's uh, it's a bit scary, honestly, to be living in a human pandemic. And then also on top of that, a horse um, one.
0: <laughs> so what about your, uh, we covered Europe earlier in the show. We were talking about how the, the fact that they've gone another couple of weeks into the middle of April with their postponements of shows in 10 different countries. What's that mean for the Olympics? Are we going to see the Olympics this year? What are you hearing?
4: Oh, uh, Um, I don't have any inside information on that. Um, as far as I know it's going ahead. Um, and I think I was actually just talking to uh, the team at, at eventing nation and jumper nation earlier, and we were reflecting on how it was about this time last year that the Olympics were, were postponed. So we were saying, well, if they haven't postponed it by now, you know, it's probably, or canceled it this time it's probably going ahead. Um, Whether EHV will impact the Olympics is obviously up in the air. I think I would hope by that time it's all kind of under control, but you have to remember that these people are athletes and obviously their horses are athletes, so they have to be able to prepare for the games. And if, you know, the FEI suspends competition further through April or May or whatever it may be, then you're talking only a couple of months before the Olympic games, which is like the biggest test of horse and rider that they have. So that particularly in the show jumping. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a bit scary, but my view is that the Olympics will happen because I think, you know, they, they would have had to notify athletes sooner and they're going to have a, find a way to do it. But the EHV thing is kind of throwing a wrench in things a little bit. Um, I think, time will tell.
0: Well, and let's let's face it. The Olympics would be you know, they could go on without the horse events, right? <laughs> they could just say exactly. no horses, yeah. we're still going to do everything else and nobody's going to care a lot in Japan that that's you know they're, they're going <laughs> to do. You do mean? It. I would, care. I, we would <laughs> Me too. care. We would all care. We would all care, but let's face it in the real world. <laughs> yeah, the broader public. Right, <laughs> exactly. True. Yeah,
4: but it would be a real shame. I mean, there are there are horses and riders who have been preparing this for this you for know for decades <laughs> there are horses yeah. yeah and you know there are horses that won't have another shot at doing it so um, we're we're really hoping that it can happen
0: I think there you know I, I think it will I, I think it will I'm going to go with that I think it will I think it's going to happen I think yeah. you're right I think it's not the human pandemic at this point it's the HV1 thing and I think that'll be under control here in another month yeah yeah. So, uh, what about Brexit? Now we've t- we've touched on this before, and we're not going to explain what Brexit is because that would take us the entire day. Um, <laughs> but basically, Brexit the the UK, you know, England has succeeded from the rest of the union, like we did from them, you know, two hundred fifty to two hundred three hundred <laughs> years ago. So now, mm-hmm. what? Uh, there, are is travel impeded? How's that all working?
4: Yeah. So my understanding, and and this is um, actually informed mostly by a a piece that we recently republished um, by a a professional in England who detailed the increasing costs and logistical headaches associated with Brexit and, and moving horses in between the EU and England now. So obviously before when the European Union included England, it was quite easy to cross borders and that sort of thing. Like, you know, you you've may have heard of um, teenagers going across on the your rail Pass and things like that. You can take trains all around Europe, including into England. Now, those borders are effectively much more strict. And so that has impacted um, horse movements, whether it's selling horses or just competing them. And I think the problem is that England has relied on the fact that it's easy for competitors to go to Spain or other parts of Europe to compete, Germany, Belgium, whatever. And so they don't actually have they have shows in England, but they don't have the caliber of shows that some the rest of Europe have, at least in jumping shows. Eventing's a little different, but in jumping shows you know, you don't have two and three and four star events every weekend in England, but you would have them in the rest of Europe. And so for those riders to compete, they go to Europe all the time normally, but now it's like an extra, at least I think like 24 hours added to the journey with all these extra customs. There's a lot of extra expense associated with it. And basically people are saying, you know, this is a bit ridiculous, and it's pretty bad for the horse welfare for them to have this added time to their travel, um, particularly if they're going and, you know, jumping in three days after that. So, it's um, it seems to be a heated a heated topic, and and also it seems to be something that people are writing to legislators and and policymakers about. So hopefully they'll kind of get the memo that, you know, we don't want our horses to suffer from this. Um, Kind of political um, situation that that happened, and it'll be better for everyone if you know if people can travel more easily um,
5: across the border.
0: Well, I noticed that uh, you know an article a couple weeks ago about the channel and how backed up it was coming from France into England. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it just was backed up for, as you said, for half a day, uh, and you just sitting there. And part of that was COVID, and you know. In addition to customs, part of it's also COVID um, because mm-hmm. they're double checking that and all the uh, things that go along with that. So it's been a kind of a real nightmare at the beginning here. <laughs> a,
4: a yeah, and on top of that, with EHV, people trying to get horses home or, or just I think there's a general sense of panic. So um, glad glad not to be there now. I have to say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We can be here with, we have no problems in the United States, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> now, I called, when we talked to you, I just have to bring this up. When I called you earlier today, a woman answered with a very thick accent, and I'm going, This is not Emma. Who was that? <laughs> that was my
4: mom, um, who. It has an Australian accent. Um, she sure does. And she picked up the phone because I was on another work call. I was like, um, and I said, what is Who is this answer? Right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was my mom, um, born and raised in Sydney. And um, I actually had an Australian accent when I was a, a little kid, but lost it pretty quickly. I was going to ask you, cool. you lost the, the
0: sexy accent. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. But... Um, I still
4: do ride for Australia and um, uh, intend to intend to represent Australia, so um I have that, but i I was on a green card uh, for the United States until uh, about six months ago now, and then i I got my citizenship finally after living here for twenty years.
3: so congratulations um,
4: exciting yeah I could vote for the first time and um, feel like a uh legit part of this country. So that was cool. I wish I had the national Um, anthem ready. i I I retained my citizenship too.
0: I was just looking for the national anthem quickly to play, but I don't have it ready. Sorry.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I am not a good singer, so
0: so (laughs) Well congratulations. That's terrific. And now you can you could technically ride for either country, right? Or do you have to declare?
4: Um, you have to declare, but I think, I mean, if I wanted to, I could switch. Um, but it's, it's my intention to ride for Australia.
0: Cool. Well, then you have to start talking with the accent again. It's just required. (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) Emma, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. It's jumpernation.com is where you can find all the information you'll ever want about what's happening in show jumping around the world. Take care, Emma.
4: Thanks Glenn and Wendy. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Back to
0: work now. Well, there you go. She's delightful, and we appreciate her coming on with us. Dr. Wendy, where can people find you?
3: At drwendyying.com.
0: Well, and uh, you can find all of her products there. She has a whole bunch of different uh, Chinese medicine products that we talk about here once a month on the show. You can find them all at drwendyying.com. I know you, you've you been shipping out orders. so
3: Yeah, we have lots of herbal therapies for dogs and uh Horses and cats, if you can get the cats to take them, but they can be very helpful for kitties. Huh. Very good. And I have a, a blog and uh, with all kinds of info about uh, holistic veterinary medicine.
0: And, of course, we do an episode once a month. It's the first Thursday of every month is a driving episode. You can find it right here on Horses in the Morning. Go to the HorsesintheMorning.com page. Scroll down to the middle. You'll see a little driving banner. Click on that. and it brings you all the past episodes. We've actually been doing the driving show now for eight, nine years. Long time. Uh, I think. <coughs> no, it's, it's
3: not long. eight or nine years. It's a, like 11. Is it really? Because we, we did started the in Kentucky, remember?
0: Oh, I guess it is. God, time we flies. started when we
3: both lived in Kentucky. And <laughs> that was flies. when? 2010.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, no. uh, thank you for joining us, everybody, today. We really appreciate it. Tomorrow is the Certified Horsemanship Association with Christy, who got a blizzard over the weekend. So I hope she still has power. And then fox hunting later in the week. And uh, on Wednesday, Ooh, I, have awesome. a sp- I have a special guest host. Helena is joining me, of course, The first, my first co-host uh-huh. here on Horse Radio Network. So she'll be here filling in for Jamie. And then on Friday, Lisa Wysocki is going to be filling in. So uh, you can look forward to a full week of shows. Just because Jamie's on vacation doesn't mean we are.
3: Thank you, Dr. Oh, Wendy. Glenn's girls are going to be on this That's week. That's right. I have the whole
0: harem on here this week. <laughs> hang on auditors we have a post show a little bit for you well thank you Wendy that was a good show that was fun went quick huh with all the guests it goes quick I know so what are you working on you're working on some kind of project
3: It's not really a project, it's just, uh, I have to, I had to pick a topic to lecture on at our, we have this annual meeting for TCVM and this, um, this year I thought I wanted to bring in some history of TCVM because I've learned when I'm teaching, uh, I teach acupuncture at the Chi Institute to other veterinarians. And one of the hardest things is to go from our mindset of like being like, you know, a, a the way we're traditionally trained in in Western medicine and think about Eastern medicine, it seems so foreign. But it's actually quite similar. Like it evolves kind of in the same way, right? But uh, so one of the things I'm doing is talking about the history of Chinese medicine. and also because I, I because I'm a horse vet, I wanted to, to to bring in some of the uh, history of the the horse in in Asia. Versus here in the our Western culture, so like our history of TCVM begins around 400 BC, and you're talking about the domestication of the, of the horse earlier in the show. Remember, like mm-hmm. 3,000 BC, mm-hmm. right? That seems so long ago, right? We're only we're only at 2021, 20, you know AC, right? So um, you think about that, and you think, I mean, I can't even. Fathom that amount of time. So at 400 BC, we talked to like our, our Chinese history talks about the Yellow Emperor and this man called Shen Nong, who was the divine farmer. And he's the one that tasted the herbs and kind of classified them into medicinal purposes. And that all seems kind of like mythology, right?
0: Well, yeah, because and, uh, how, I often wondered who's the first person to try this stuff and not know it's deadly.
3: Right. Well, this is who it is, Shen Nong. <laughs> we call him the divine farmer. And he's a divine farmer because it's kind of unclear from the history as if this guy was like a real person, or if this guy was a uh a myth, or if he's a, a compilation of many people, because right. this is before paper, right? This right. is these stories are are oral traditions. Um, but actually they think that he was this uh man who was a multi-generational horse person. He was a great horse person. And not only did he develop herbs, but he did a lot of horse Chinese medicine. And a lot of the medicine at that time was based on like what we think about now for like confirmation and choosing horses because, uh, their horses back then were used for work and war. Right. But 400 BC in the, in that's what ha- was happening in the East And the West at this time, this is the time when like Alexander the Great was coming to power and Hippocrates, you know who Hippocrates is? He's the, the father of, of Western medicine. Right. Right. And his theory for, um, uh, for medicine was, you know, we always say, okay, we, we doctors take a Hippocratic oath. Right. And we say, first, do no harm. And that's kind of all, we don't really think about what Hippocrates was thinking Uh, about. But what he was thinking about was wellness. Before this time, people thought that people got sick because of like the gods were angry at them. Or, you know, it was fate, it was bad luck. And Hippocrates, he's the father of Western medicine because he said, no, it's not just your bad luck. It's because the, the way your body's interacting with the environment, with your diet or with your lifestyle. So wellness. So when you look at it, like from the big picture, these tradition, these theories were happening about the same time. And you think, Oh, well, there's a so far away. How could this be happening? But this is the time, uh, you know, you're talking about, uh, Kazakhstan and the horses, Kazakhstan, is the in between on the Silk Road, right? So these people were like the people that helped the traders and information going back and forth, plus the horses. So as at this time during the Silk Road, they weren't just sharing their, their philosophies about different things, but this is also how the horses started to evolve. And we had fantastic horse people in the East and fantastic horse people in the West. And a lot of our uh, horsey history for the East, um, you know, I didn't even know about this before I did TCVM. And I'm Chinese, right? Like, I'm a Chinese horse lover. I should love this history anyways, but i it's so hard to find. But there were all these really great um, uh, horses that, that the generals rode, and they were famous, and there are stories and songs about them. And one of them was Red Sparrow. And in many of these like little horsey designs, you'll see this, like, you know, the typical Chinese horse little uh, way the horse is running. That horse is actually under his feet is a sparrow. And that's because when you see the sparrow under the horse's feet, that's a a copy of this ancient uh, depiction of red sparrow. And I always think, oh, of course, like one of the most famous horses is a little chestnut. Because you know, Probably I'm not a chestnut. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> a chestnut fan. No, it was actually a stallion. It was oh, okay. a stallion. But it's interesting because what you were saying about that the the bits, how they were so huge. Cause these Cossacks uh were domesticating like Preswalski's type horses, right? Fat Mongol ponies with big, huge heads. But the the uh, by 400 BC, what the generals were riding—the top, the top sport horses or war horses—were part Arab, right? And that was only possible because of the Silk Road, because they were like bringing the Arabs in that could, you know. I think these horses had to go like 50 miles a day. That's mm. how they were determined to be a good well, horse. Sport it
0: took forever to get horse. anywhere, so you'd have to, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't do that on a draft pony. Right. Right. You so couldn't bring do that on a halflinger. Yeah. No, they would be that those are for eating, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really interesting. And I, I just think, God, that's like as a Asian person and a horse vet and a lifelong horse person. I was like, how did I not know this? So I thought it was going to be a really fun topic for my thing.
0: Genghis Khan, speaking of Silk Road, had a lot to do with horses in that day, too, mm-hmm. uh, and with uh, crossbreeding and, you know, different breeds and all of that stuff. And uh, uh, he's a fascinating char- character. I know you're Kyle and I all, all watch. Yeah. The, we watch that yeah. show.
3: Uh, yeah and and also like all, almost all asian people are related to genghis khan because they raped and pillaged so so much you know yeah, so he like was that. <laughs> all hans are all hans are all han chinese people which is <laughs> what my that my chinese background is we're all is related it? to genghis yeah. khan
0: huh. well he took over most of asia i mean didn't he at one point yeah. yeah and
3: the reason that he was so successful is because he had the best horses Right. And at the time, that's what your transportation was. That's how if you were on horseback, you could fight much. Yeah, he could uh, move his
0: armies quickly.
3: He could move the armies. And also, um, I can't remember. Gloria talked about this once. I think it was the Mongols that invented the stirrup.
1: Mm.
3: And that's why they were such good warriors hmm. because they had up. had purchased. I, I think Gloria said that.
0: Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, that's a cool, cool topic. For everybody. Yeah,
3: I'll, when I finish it, when I finish it, I'll do it on the on the driving radio show. We'll talk about it.
0: So it's interesting because Wendy teaches at uh, the Qi Institute, which is the leading uh, institute for Chinese medicine in in the animal world, and um, you get a lot of traditional veterinarians that come in. Are they? are they tough to teach because they have it ingrained in their head, you know, the doctor thing, the traditional doctor thing where we give them medicine to fix everything.
3: Or? Yeah, it's like the and I was like this too. It's hard when you get started is um like you can see that the first session, they do five sessions. And now with COVID, like three of them are online and then two of them they come in. But you can see like the first session, this is like a whole new like their brain can't get it. <laughs> and I, I agree. And, and when I was doing um, both like general practice and, and acupuncture when I first started, it's hard to switch your brain back and forth. Um, but that's why I thought of this topic because it kind of helps you bring everything together. So you, when you do Chinese medicine, you have to look at the big picture and the pattern. It's kind of how we look at dermatology. Like dermatology is actually very difficult, but if you need to look at the pattern, but for us vets, sometimes that's hard. You will say, Oh no, I'd rather do this and this and this. I want to know why. And I want to know what I need to do, but that's not always, um, it's not always so black and white. You sometimes have to, you know, uh, you know, try something and see mm-hmm. if it works. But, um, but I think, I think that we are teaching acupuncture and Chinese medicine in a little bit more of a modern way. So I think it's good to know the history because just like we know like Roman history,
0: right? Right. Right.
3: Uh, it's good to know that history, but maybe we need to teach acupuncture a little bit more scientifically, which is what we do at Qi Institute. So they get a little bit of history and then, There's a lot of uh, evidence-based research about acupuncture and how it works, especially with neurology and like um, the with cell-to-cell communication within the body and hormones. So we talk a lot about uh, a lot about that after the first section
0: and less on. So they feel a lot better. We've been doing this for two thousand years, so this is just the way we do it. There's actually yeah, we never yeah.
3: yeah we don't teach like that. Like this is put this point here and this is how it works just because I said so. And that's one of the things why we have this master's program going on now. Um, So whenever you do a master's, you have to pick a subject and you have to do uh, like a scientific study of one of these of like, you know, like mine was using laser acupuncture to show that I decreased anxiety in horses. And I had to figure out a way to measure that and to test that scientifically. So that's kind of the shift of how TCVM is going. And in, in human acupuncture, uh, they have a lot more research than in animal or veterinary acupuncture. But we're getting there.
0: So it's so funny when I hear you talk like this because it's, see, she, she's just not just fun. Wendy is so smart. And (laughs) because you and I have spent years just having fun together, pretty much. Yeah. And then when I hear you talk like this, it's like, wow, she really does know what she's talking about.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I have some, I have an interesting thing. I have an interesting thing, too, that that I found during my research. Um, Do you know what the, Oh, now I'm going blank. See, look, you, you got me distracted. <laughs> you know the ones that are the half-horse and half-human? Oh, what are those Oh, called?
0: oh, oh. Um, minotaurs?
3: minotaurs, yes.
0: Something like that, yes.
3: Okay, so minotaurs, you know, that's mythology, right? We think, oh, that's fantasy. Uh, but but actually, minotaurs were a group of, uh, this is what they believed. That, Centaurs. That, Centaurs. 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 Centaurs, yeah. They were a group of uh, a, a tribe of, of Greeks that were always on horseback and they were archers and you like never saw them off their horse. And they were really like aggressive and uh, they would come in and like destroy the town, but the people would never see them off their horses. They were like, you know, guerrilla warfare, like Mosby's Rangers. What I expected the the Virginia people were like, right? So um, that's how that story, that's how that developed. They were riders that never got they that you never saw them off their horses
0: has there ever been in a time we weren't just attacking and killing each other no (laughs) (laughs) i know it's so funny we watch some of these archaeology shows and it all comes back to war everyone you know every dig they do you know know, everything revolves around that since the history of time it's sad (laughs) let's just all get along it's power so i get along i just want to get along All right, everybody. We get along here at Horse Radio Network. That's what's important. (laughs) Thank you, Wendy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. See you all tomorrow.